Well, hello and welcome. Edith Bowman here. Now, if you've tuned in before, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Play Next, created in partnership with BMW. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Please pull up a pews. I've got a fabulous episode in store for you today. Now, we are all about new music on Play Next. So this week, I'll be bringing you five of my favourite new tracks as well as a conversation with up-and-coming artist Dewey. I'll also be speaking to the music-making mastermind who has worked with the likes of Dave, Stormzy and Adele, to name but a few, producer Fraser T. Smith about what goes on behind the scenes to make a record that really stands out. But first I promised you some music, didn't I? The first band I have for you today is Halos. Now, they've been creating stunning music since around 2015. Their sound has been described as dark euphoria, something to do with their impactful bass lines, ethereal vocals and emotive melodies. Here's the fabulous Halos with Hold On.
Hold On by Halos, fantastic track. I love the angelic kind of scrambled vocal and the build on it gets properly under your skin. I think it's one of those songs that sounds uncomplicated, but if you peel back the layers, there is so much to it. Now, if you liked Hold On, don't forget it's available on a lovingly curated Spotify playlist. Just search BMW UK on Spotify to be met with all your favourite songs from today's show. Next up, we have an artist who has described their album as upbeat existential millennial crisis music. Um, I'm in. Here's Yellow Days with The Curse. Yeah. 
we act that way. I didn't want to be afraid. Yellow Days with the Curse. Uh, so hard to describe that track. It's got this amazing kind of hypnotic, addictive quality to it. I love it. You're listening to Play Next with me, Edith Bowman. Now, very shortly, I'll be speaking to Dewey, an artist whose music I promise will give you goosebumps. That'll be followed by a chat with production mastermind Fraser T. Smith about what the producer brings to the table when it comes to making hit records that resonate. But before we delve deep into discussion, here's one more tune for you, along with a warning. It's crazily catchy. Taking inspiration from artists like Jungle, Justice, Pharrell and Outkast, Amsterdam-based duo Casual blend modern takes on 70s disco and soul with a late 90s hip-hop bounce, resulting in huge feel-good songs. And here's a prime example. This is Alive. Casual, and there is nothing casual about that track. It is huge and is currently on repeat in my house. This is Play Next, brought to you in partnership with BMW with me, Edith Bowman. And that's how we like to start every show, with three cracking new tunes. And I hope you like what you've heard so far. More new music to come, but right now I want to speak to you about an artist that I couldn't be more excited about. Her name is Dewey. From her recent cancer diagnosis to wanting to make music that her queer teenage self would be proud of, Dewey's music is shaped by a plethora of poignant catalysts and so much truth. 
It's quite hard to describe her music as I think there's a unique quality to it whilst it also feels utterly familiar and exciting. Dewey's path to new single Savannah that, spoiler alert, we'll be listening to in a mo, is one paved in hard graft, sacrifices and stunning backdrops. So naturally, I was curious to find out more. Dewey, thank you so much for sparing the time to chat to us. We genuinely have had your track Savannah on loop. It's so, so brilliant. And it's brilliant to get the chance to talk to you to find out more about you. Welcome. Bless you, Edith. Thank you so much. That really does mean a lot to me. Thank you. Tell us a bit more about you. How long have you been making music and and where have you been making music and what's been inspiring you? Wow. Um, Well, honestly, my whole life I've been making music since I was a little kid, always experimenting with creating little crazy sounds and From the age of 15, I got my hands on this system called Cool Edit Pro. (laughs) And it was just really fun. And I just spend loads of time making loads of mad backing tracks. And then that just got a bit more serious. The songwriting came in and I kind of joined some bands. I joined a punk band with my best friends for a few years. And we played all around Brighton. It was really fun. And then I joined another band, a girl band, which... It actually led into me becoming one of uh, Nick Mulvey's session musicians. Oh, wow. His wife, Isadora, was part of that girl band when we were like 18 years old or something. So we, yeah, we just had a load of fun, basically. (laughs) And then sort of seven years later, Nick was like, Fifi, do you want to um, come on tour and be my backline technician? So I was like, of course I do, man. (laughs) And then like you stand next to a synth long enough. And you're in the band. <laughs> so <laughs> that's basically what happens. Was there a bit of a journey to kind of finding your sound? And I guess from being in a number of bands as well, you get the chance to try things. And I guess you can feel what's what's right for you in terms of what's allowing you to be the, the truest you can in your expression that's away, an amazing question I think yeah like because actually in a couple of those bands I was experimenting with like being the drummer and singing so there's definitely like a percussive thing um and drums is kind of like my secret weapon <laughs> it's like you know I'm quite predominantly I play electric guitar and that's why I like write on the guitar but like it's it's a very rhythmic thing for me and yeah, that, I suppose that's really connected to just like playing in other bands and stuff and with other musicians, you know. Can you talk a little bit about Savannah and about kind of where and how that was written? Yeah, it's, it's two stories, Savannah. The first one is kind of me at 24 years old. I saved up all my money and I went on this kind of pilgrimage to America to visit all these incredible music scenes and I wanted to see what was going on there. So in between checking out those music scenes, I was farming and uh, it was a beautifully inspiring trip. It was incredible. And then I came back home and, you know, (laughs) that natural feeling of like, oh man, like life's mundane, the malaise, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Take me back. Yeah, exactly. So it was just a, it was like a, a love letter to that place and that time. And then just kind of hitting that reality and the duality of life, I suppose. And The more important part of the story, actually, essentially, last year, we were filming the music video um, for Savannah, ready to release the music and everything. 
And I had been quite ill for a few months leading up to this, like, um, and the next day that we filmed the video, I actually was like admitted into hospital and was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So it was this mad, mad sort of crazy traumatic situation and which led me down having major surgery and then chemotherapy for four months, um, which now I can happily say I'm healthy and in a very good place. But it is sort of, yeah, that it's kind of a strange thing because some of the lyrics in that song are very fitting to that experience that I didn't even know was going to happen. So, yeah. Wow. It's, um, it's crazy. Yeah. I believe you're working on a two-part album project. Is that... Yes. Is that... Yeah, it's, it's finished. Tell me, yeah, it's is it? done. Yes. Oh wow! And is Savannah part of that? Then it's almost a piece to the puzzle. Yeah, it is. So um, essentially, I've split this in, into two parts, um, and these are songs that I wrote over. You know, from I came back from that journey in America, and the sort of like three years, a period of three years of just obsessively writing this, and picking the best tunes and yes yeah, so that's coming out this year oh my god that's amazing how how was the recording process for you you know did you pull in all these people that you've worked with over the years and I know that you worked with Dan Carey on Savannah was he part of the album as well yeah I mean that was an, that was a long process of writing and it started actually in a place called Soya which is the name of the record And that's in Mallorca, the island. And I spent three winters, consecutive winters there, sort of writing. Um, It's a weird place to be in the winter. (laughs) It's like, it's it's Peaceful, I imagine. Peaceful and ominous. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, because it's an island, there's some crazy weather and it's super inspiring and beautiful. Because, Because I love production, I'd essentially sort of whittled together this piece that I was atmospherically really proud of. And then meeting Dan Kerry, I mean, he's just, you know, he's a wizard. And he just completely got the vision. And he was like, look, you know, if you need help kind of engineering the sound and, you know, picking bits apart and making them, you know, making this all come to life. And that's what he did. And that was about a year and a half ago now. Obviously, I had to take this time out last year to get better. So, But it feels like a great fresh start. And I feel just so sort of like full of purpose and appreciation and it's it couldn't have happened at a better time actually it's yeah it's really really cool someone's asked me last week if I could talk to my younger self what would I tell myself and I loved reading that it's almost like this record is almost a record that you would have liked to have heard when you were growing up yeah I yeah I wonder even if I'd felt like that if I hadn't have gone through all that stuff last year as well you know but it is, and it's it's totally that. It's totally, even just in the simplest way, it's like, you know, they're, they're gay love songs. And I don't feel like I had that many sort of gay role models when I was younger. And I'd love to just, you know, be able to essentially gift my younger self these songs, you know, and be like, look, it's okay. You know, these are real deep love songs and they can be about other women. That's a beautiful thing. the rest of the album sound I know it's the hardest thing in the world to ask an artist to describe their sound but you know if I from here in Savannah I want to hear the rest of the you know this two-part album a lot of the idea was to try and get a confluence of sound so 
a lot of the songs were built on big vocal stacks, so there's some really crazy harmonies. I picked Savannah as the first release because I think that's a really nice blend of a lot of the sounds. Um, there's some very epically stacked vocals and lots of like nice kind of picking guitar with crazy shredding guitar and there's some Dan Carey beats in there <laughs> which everyone loves <laughs> of course um yes yeah, so it's kind of hard to describe but um there's a bit of everything in there but with mm. a sense that it's all one kind of art piece amazing it's easy to make a record and try and change every sound but i've tried to keep it one thing so it's like a land you can just go to oh like your island <laughs> exactly i can't wait to hear it i'm i'm really just um thoroughly impressed with 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 what you're you've done so far and i'm very excited for what's to come Julie. it's an absolute treat to get to chat to you thank you so much for your time thank you so much edith That was Dewey, and here's her latest single, The Fantastic Savannah.
hard to describe, isn't it? But brilliant it most certainly is, as is she, Dewey. So great to learn a bit more about her. You're listening to Play Next with me, Edith Bowman, brought to you in partnership with BMW. Now, if you love what you're hearing, please don't forget to subscribe. You might miss that it's Wednesday and there is another new episode of Play Next available. Well, ta-da! If you have subscribed... Ooh, it's like a little weekly present for you to listen to. Now, I've got an excellent track to end this episode with in a bit, but right now, I'd like to speak to you about the magicians of technology and songwriting that work tirelessly behind the scenes of many of our favourite tracks. Those, my friends, are music producers. From gramophones to smartphones, our listening experience has come a long way. Today, producers have a great array of tricks and tools to get songs lodged inside our heads and our hearts. They're also more aware than ever of how we're choosing to listen. With eight UK number one singles and two US Billboard number ones under his belt, Fraser T. Smith knows a thing or two about how to make a song sing. So I caught up with him to discover how he does it. And if there's a secret recipe, he wouldn't mind divulging to us all. Well, it's worth a shot, really, wasn't it? Hi, Fraser. How are you? I'm fantastic. Lovely to be talking to you again. We were, like, three years, was it, that that we were talking before? Um, Yeah, earth years, Fraser, (laughs) earth years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For people who are maybe listening to this podcast to... You know, they will have unknowingly been dancing around and listening to music that you've been involved in for for quite a number of years. But how do you describe what you do? Well, I don't I don't know if I if I if I'd even label it now because I'm not even sure. But started <laughs> off as a started off as a musician. I guess you're always a musician if you start off as a musician. So I'm I'm a musician, but who has had the amazing opportunity of standing on the shoulder of giants such as Stormzy and Dave and Kano and Adele and Sam Smith and Celine Dion. But um, I've weirdly played Kano on um, Set Fire to the Rain. That was me playing. And when people got to hear of that, you know, they expected this sort of Liberace type of character, you know, come so people would say, well, do this, or can we transpose it to this? You know, and I'd say, look, I know I've played on this really big record, but... You have to believe, please believe. And I'm not being like English sort of modest guy, but I'm not that good at playing piano. And then I was very kindly asked to play on um, Dave's Brit's performance of Black. And of course, the same thing happened again. You know, I, I literally, people don't understand. They think I'm being so modest, but I practiced that song. I was in here at six in the morning, Edith, to play like that three minute song. I was so terrified that I was going to let him down that I was practicing like no one had ever practiced for piano and, and now I've, you know everyone saw me walking out of the Brits you know they're very cool and calm and collected and say god you're an amazing pianist and I would have to say look I'm honestly not but no I'm like a kid in a sweet shop here creating I love it that's a, such an iconic performance as well I mean I think it'll you know definitely go down as one of the, the most iconic performances I think of the Brits um, but it's it's really interesting you know we consume music so much differently than we used to and which is you know has its good points it also has its kind of bad points as well sort of thing I think there's a, a whole it's like a bit of a vicious circle but to have access to so much music is brilliant but does that come into your role as a producer in any way when you think about or do you think about how people consume and listen to music be it on you know the devices that they listen to and algorithms and all that kind of thing I hate that word but um but yeah does it come into your sort of discussions at all I think with 
you know, years ago on the purely commercial stuff, I think you have to because it, you know, you almost have to think algorithmically in terms of what else is out there. But I think you you get into like this super commercial loop that I don't think is that well, it wasn't that healthy for me. Where you're you're really on a level where you're competing against other people and you're not really being yourself. So I think going talking about you know the the, the great artists I've worked with like Stormzy and Dave they make their own rules. I think great artists make up their own rules. So I think that the interesting thing is doing something that other people are just not doing. So I'd say now more than ever making my record, obviously there's a concern for it feeling good, but it's it's more about the energy transference, you know, in terms of how, how things are just feeling. And I think you have to trust your own ears and then, and then hope that that's going to translate. I'm really interested to know, what it's like for you when an artist approaches you or someone says, I want to work with you, Fraser, and it kind of how that starts. And, you know, is it, is it different for each person? There's no definitive answer to that, Edith. I think I've always taken the, the view that how can I be of, of help? Different artists need different levels of help, depending on where they are in their career, how much they feel comfortable saying, how much musically they know, how much. So I think the great thing is that every relationship is different. You know, if I'm working with Stormzy, he has such a, a huge vision of what he wants to achieve. I would say that I help him achieve some of the things musically that are in his head. That's the, the great thing about our relationship. I would say that with Dave, he's a great player. So so he, he plays piano like way better than me. So we jam and that's a slightly different thing. I mean, Maybe sometimes it's it's more of a sort of musical conversation, but more like big brotherly type of relationship. Yeah, was that part of of what what encouraged you to to make this record then? Because under the name of Future Utopia, got this great album, um, Twelve Questions, which absolutely captivates you immediately and you're kind of like I need to listen to this and I need to and it just it does so much so many things without you even realizing it makes you ask questions asks you questions um but can you tell me a little bit about the the history of this record and when it first started and how you wanted to incorporate all these collaborations on it well started we moved out of London Sarah my wife and I and my daughter our daughter Amber moved out to the country because we've fancied something different and so we moved to this beautiful little village in the Chilterns uh, and I was waiting for my studio to be built and I was honestly feeling I don't know what the next step is in my career because I feel like I've had so much success with Dave and Stormzy on those records and Kano I just knew that I didn't want to repeat what I was doing and I had this whiteboard and I don't know where it came from but I just started writing these questions down on this whiteboard where we divided when we're so connected how much is enough and I think it was because I was feeling anxiety of 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 the way that the world was heading and I just had these big questions and then little by little I started thinking how wild it would be to ask a huge variety of of people these questions to help me and I don't know, something about the number 12 always stuck. I don't know if it's 12 bar blues or the 12 hour clock or 12 months in the year. It just seems very balanced and came up with the questions and started writing the music and then went on this journey to 
to find these incredible people that are on the record. It's amazing. And there's, there's a, you know, the, the collection of people that you have on there is, is kind of phenomenal. They each bring, you know, very much their own kind of, um, I guess, kind of emotion with the song as well, with each piece. Mm. I, I really think it was so interesting because I feel on a musical level, everything is, is molecules and electrons, isn't it? So as a producer, all you're trying to do is capture those molecules, whether it's Adele singing a note that just resonates because it's in that key, just it's the emotion that connects, or whether it's Albert Wilfox or a rapper or singer or an activist. That's that's all I've tried to do is is just to to just capture, you know, like a photographer or a, a, a filmmaker would would capture. Mm-hmm. And and I think I've captured some some really powerful stuff on this. Feels like a, a beautiful new start. Um, thank you so much for your time, Fraser. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Bye. Absolutely fascinating stuff from Fraser G. Smith. Really love his honesty and absolutely adore his new record, 12 Questions. So that's nearly it for today's episode. I feel like I've learned a lot, not just about the new tracks out there, but also about the work that goes on behind the scenes with music producers. Now, I'd love it if you would let me know what you've enjoyed about this week's episode of Play Next. Drop us a few comments in a review if you have the time. So to finish up our celebration of producers everywhere, I've got a track for you right now from artist-producer Joe Lanz. Lanz approaches songwriting with subtlety and elegance that rely on highly emotional arrangements. Their new track is, I think, really something special. I can't wait to share it with you now. This is OOW.
I can guarantee you will have that song in your heads for weeks. All right, that's your lot for now, though. Feel free to go to our BMW UK Spotify playlist if you want a supplementary dose of all the tracks we've played today. I'll be back next week with a fresh dose of all the best breakthrough music. In the meantime, why not give us a little rating or review? Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. 